0: So this is a three-part series you're working on for Global News. Um, You're going to start off with uh, focusing on where the worst cases of coronavirus were. And can you give us a little insight into what you learned from the data? Well,
1: we looked at the the data. Uh, The data that the province releases lists the deaths and infections at various long-term care homes. But we took it a step further and we looked at who owns those homes and then sort of tallied up um, looking at it through an ownership prism, and it's quite interesting. What we found was that really um, the majority of the, the deaths at long-term care co- homes in Ontario have been at um, homes owned by just a small handful of companies, and in particular, two chains, uh, Siena and Rivera. So they've really uh, they've really borne the brunt of the uh, COVID nineteen crisis in in nursing homes.
0: What do these companies have in common? Did you find any commonalities?
1: Well, I mean, they're both. To be fair, they're both large chains. Uh, one is a for-profit company. Uh, Rivera is actually owned by the um, the company that invests the pension funds of federal public servants. Um, you know, they they both own a lot of companies, so it's you know not that surprising that they've had more deaths. But. Um, the, the for-profit homes, I think uh, the consensus is that they were impacted a little differently than the rest in the sense that um, they maybe, generally speaking, didn't offer as good wages or living conditions and so had a harder time retaining employees um, as the COVID-19 crisis uh, worsened. And that just kind of accelerated the, the tailspin that uh, some of these um, facilities faced. So, you know, there's uh, there's still a lot of questions. I think a lot of the people that are involved in this whole sector would like to see a really thorough review so we can look at, you know, what worked and what didn't work and just how to move forward with the care of, uh, you know, our most vulnerable population.
0: I was reading that using uh, Ontario government figures on COVID-19 deaths in long-term care home, Global News matched each home with an outbreak to its owner to see if they had, how they had fared during the pandemic, which you said, but the numbers not only include deaths at homes that lost five or more residents as the province didn't release figures for care homes with fewer than five residents deaths. Did you find that odd? To me, that seems callous. We're talking about people here.
1: Well, the, the, the provincial government i think it's uh, they consider it to be a privacy act issue if uh, if they release figures that are less than 5 they believe it's too easy to identify people so um yeah so those numbers unfortunately are left out because there are a number of homes that did have several deaths but not you know not more than 5 so it does it does skew the results uh, a little bit but uh, generally speaking, when you look at the most impacted homes, you know it doesn't change the outcome that much.
0: What's the concern for privacy? Because uh, you know, I think a lot of people are listening and thinking, um, I, I get it. If it's you know you're still alive and there, this could your medical information could get out and affect your job or your life. You know, anything in your life. But these person people are now deceased. Where's the concern about keeping their names uh, private? Because I, I mean, to me, it seems almost disrespectful to that life like it it doesn't count in in some way
1: yeah i don't i don't fully understand the government's logic to be honest uh the federal government does the same thing it won't release numbers that are less than five uh for i I, i'm baffled by it as well i mean you're not asking for names you're only talking about numbers but Mm -hmm. governments have taken this position
0: and there have been people that, that say, you know, with how long-term care uh, handled or didn't handle COVID, that one of the missteps was, you know, long-term care homes have been thinking of people as, you know, clients, uh, not uh, humans, not not actual genuine people. And so we have to, instead of considering them customers, considering them people would be the way to go um, and might bring about a little bit of a, a change in in the way we run these homes i understand that um understaffing was a problem with some of these private homes the for-profit homes and uh, can you describe the role that staffing plays when it comes to keeping long-term care homes safe uh or vulnerable to COVID 19.
1: well i i think there's a consensus that staffing is the issue um Going into the COVID-19 crisis, there already was a big staffing problem at long-term care facilities. And it just, it got so much worse uh, during the crisis. Um, You know, I think one of the things that we we know happened is that um, some homes, particularly uh, private homes, were not offering great wages or even full-time employment with benefits. And so um, workers were forced to work at multiple locations. So, in order to you know make enough money to survive and and take care of their families, you had workers that were working at two and three different long-term care homes, which helped to spread the uh, the virus. And so, in April, um, the government figured this out and banned it, and workers were forced to choose uh, to pick one home to work at. And I think that that seems to be a point where the for-profit homes um, really suffered because, from what I'm hearing from the unions and the experts, a lot of the workers uh, chose not to work at the for-profit homes. They chose to work at nonprofits or municipal homes, which generally seem to offer better wages and benefits. And uh, and so that just you know that significantly worsened the um, the staffing issue at these homes uh, operated by these chains. And you know they were trying to bring in new staff, and they weren't the staff, new staff weren't necessarily trained on. Uh, you know how to prevent uh, infection spreads and how to use PPE and all of these things. So, um, you know, I think that's reflected in the numbers that you see of some of these homes that were really, really ravaged by uh, by COVID nineteen, with up to seventy deaths in in some homes and quite a long list of homes with more that lost more than twenty five percent of their residents to COVID nineteen.
0: Not to mention what the military were seeing in some of these uh, homes uh, where there was just uh, neglect. And that that does g- head back to, you know, uh, support w- workers that are working at fewer homes. They have a better understanding, as you say, of the, of the, of the needs of, of those that they're caring for. And so you have more continuity. You know you're going into Mr. Smith's room and you know what Mr. Smith needs and you know how long it's going to take to uh, get Mr. Smith to have his meal and you know what will work and what won't work. But if you've got a constant revolving staff trying to work with people, uh, somebody's going to fall through the cracks.
1: Yeah. The, the military in Ontario, they were generally deployed with one exception. They were deployed to for-profit homes that had really substantial staffing problems. And so what they were seeing in a lot of cases seemed to be um, staff that were new, not trained, um, and just not not familiar with either the people they were serving or how to you know properly prevent the spread of infection and virus and uh and that was reflected in the things that they saw uh and so again it's you know it comes back to this this problem of staffing which was a staffing which was an issue even before this whole thing happened and um and it just you know really worsened through this crisis uh, and you know and remains a problem as well i think um the the union is saying that a lot of workers that have worked in this field for some time have just had enough it just it's not worth it um the the risk is too great, and the benefits are not are not good enough and you know it's it's probably time for us to ask ourselves if this is the way we want to um, to care for our you know, our ages our, our, our are,
0: I think, I think the resounding answer is no, it's not because people look at not only their loved ones in that situation, but also the fact that down the road, maybe not too far down the road, they might find themselves in a similar situation. And it's just, uh, it, it's boggling to the mind that here we are in Canada. A relatively wealthy country, and we can't get this together. I, I, it's it's appalling. So the bottom line now is, uh, you this three point uh, part series for global news. Where are you going next?
1: Well, we're looking at some uh, related issues, such as the uh, the decision uh, by some homes to begin refilling uh, the beds that have been emptied by COVID nineteen, and some of the issues of that that raises. And we're also looking at uh, you know what's worked. I mean. You have in Ontario um, so, some cases where there are homes that are very close together that are only, you know, minutes apart. And one was completely gutted by COVID-19 and the other has come through unscathed. So we're trying to look at, you know, what are the differences and what really made what really made the difference uh, for homes that were able to get through this okay.
0: Stuart, thank you so much. I appreciate your time today. Thanks.